Hey, sports fans, you're tuned into the Emerald City Fandom Podcast. We're Seattle fans talking Seattle sports. We're your hosts. I'm Connor Fredrickson. And I'm Sam Hoganson. You ready to get started? Let's send it. Welcome back to the pod, folks. This is episode 16, and it's been a little a little while. It's been a little over a week since our last our last recording, and uh, just some things came up this last week, but um, but we're here now, and we have a lot to talk about today. There's a lot that's happened over this past week, and uh, before we get into all that, though, I, I will ask my, my co-host, Sam, what are you sipping on tonight? The Lord knows we need it after the news that we've endured over the last seven to ten days. <laughs> yeah, I'm working on a couple beers here. I just wrapped up a Nankasi Brewing Company Slayer seasonal winter release, and just cracked open an Elysian Pumpkin Ale Night Owl. Very what nice. are you sipping on? Very nice. I'm back to my Scotch ways because it's the only thing that can make me feel good at this point. Yeah, about that. Yeah. So where where to start, buddy? Where do we start? Mostly, what we're going to be talking about today are our Huskies and Seahawks. Um, there's some Sounder stuff that we can cover. Obviously, they lost just lost the MLS Cup. Got completely annihilated by the Columbus crew 3-0 um, but we do not have Justin tonight so I think we're going to save most of our Sounders talk for our next episode hopefully this next week it sounds like he mm-hmm. might be available this next week but he was not available tonight while we're recording so Sam and I are going to take the reins and talk some talk some Huskies and talk some talk some Hawks as well um, I think we're going to start with Huskies though and Get the bad obviously, news out of the way first. Yeah, obviously, uh, the the biggest developments uh, have been that UW has not played a game since the last time we've recorded. And we and won't play a game until the fall of 2021. That is correct. Yeah, the COVID situation at UW is out of hand. That's probably putting it lightly. Getting worse yes, by the week, and, by the day. And yeah, they've had, I think Jimmy Lake said that they've had a positive test every day for over two weeks now. And in case you're not following the COVID situation specific to college football, that is no bueno. That's not what you're looking for. Not great. Not great, Bob. Yeah. Uh, so obviously we don't get specific numbers or um, specific data on the players and coaches and staff members that have tested positive or in, are in contact tracing. The two pieces of information that Jimmy Lake and company have revealed. First one is that there, the number of COVID active COVID cases in the UW athletic department, that's all sports is 25 now, as of this last Wednesday. And that jump, that number jumped from 11 the week before. And I think the week before that was like five. Yeah. So it's doubling your count week over week is again. Yeah. No bueno. Yeah. We've gone five times the, the amount of cases in two weeks. So 
uh, it's largely thought that most of this is coming from the football team and specifically the offensive line. Jimmy revealed that the reason they couldn't play in both the Oregon game and in the Pac-12 championship after they were crowned North champs at three and one, playing only four games, they uh, the whole offensive line is in quarantine. And it sounds like it's not just contact racing. It sounds like a fair few, a fair few of the offensive linemen have COVID. And it also sounds like that's not just scholarship players. That's walk-ons like that. That's, they didn't have one offensive lineman available to play in either the Oregon game or in the PAC 12 championship. So that was the biggest reason why both of these games were canceled and because it's also it's also seems to be the main reason why they are also canceling and declining a bowl invite at this point um and it it sucks but it obviously just shows that this virus or no one is immune to this virus and it can happen to any team and you can be doing it the right way and go through all the protocols and still contract the virus and still have it spread throughout your your team at least that's the story that we're being told i've heard some conflicting reports and i have a hard time believing that something didn't happen um whether it's some kind of team celebration party or something like that um after the, maybe that utah game but anyway it's a shitty situation and UW is not going to play another game in 2020. And uh, Sam, what are your general thoughts, I guess, about the whole situation? I want you to chime in here. Well, it's really unfortunate that we got shortchanged and only had four games this year. Would have loved to have seen more, but also just grateful that we got to watch some Husky football. Yeah. But honestly, I'm beyond pissed off, and here's why. We're going to dive right into it because I just saw something on Twitter that made my freaking blood boil. So here's the deal. We just, I don't even know if I can talk about it, but we'll try. So basically we were crowned Pac-12 North champions, can't play in the championship game. Said, of course, to fill our shoes, the freaking Oregon Ducks played USC The game literally just ended as we started the podcast. Oregon won. I flip over to Twitter, and what do I see? Oregon football Twitter already back-to-back Pac-12 champs. Oh, we're so good. Oh, Oregon (laughs) Ducks were the best. Blah, 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 blah. I cannot stand the fucking Ducks. The fact that they backed their way into another championship and I know, like, I can tell myself in the back of my head, well, it's an asterisk, and they didn't really, you know, how can they be the champions? They didn't even win their division type stuff. Oregon is going to run with this. They're going to continue to pump this through their hype machine. Oh, we got a great recruiting class. Oh, we're coming off back-to-back Pac-12 champs. Oh, Oregon, flash this, flashy this. Phil Knight's a god. Oh, what, what did I say? I don't know. Oregon football. I can't stand the fact that not only did we get robbed of an opportunity to play in the game, but to only 
or more salt on the wound. The fact that Oregon Ducks are crowned the Pac-12 champions. I can't – I don't know what I'm going to do, Connor. Something crazy probably because I can't stand this shit. It's ridiculous. It really is. And I don't want to even say this, but, like, obviously, I mean, it, it's not Oregon's fault that they're in this position as far as being handed this opportunity to be Pac-12 champions and be in this game. Where this starts is the man that we've talked about a lot in the, on this podcast and Larry Scott. Hashtag, hashtag fire, fire Larry, Larry Scott. Scott. Stuart Mandel just tweeted 15 minutes ago that this is the first time Larry Scott has not been booed during a trophy presentation. You want to know why, folks? Because there's no fucking fans at the stadium. Yeah, that's why. People would be booing their asses off, and I'm sure they are from their living rooms right now, because this is a disgrace to the this conference that the that a two loss a four and two team i guess now but a non-division champ is now your pac 12 champion sam while i'm talking pull up that tweet that you showed me earlier too because i that that paints the picture as well but the point that i want to get across is that every other major conference is looking out for their best teams and their teams that have the best position to uh uh, get a high ranking and 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 display for display positively for for the conference, and um, you can see this in in the Big Ten, in the SEC, and the ACC. Um, what's the one that I'm forgetting? What did you say? Big Ten, SEC, Big, Ten, Big, Big 12. Twelve. Yeah, Big Twelve. I didn't say Big Twelve. All of their conference title games. If the team, if the, one of the teams that like earned a spot in that title game could not play because of COVID, the game was called off. It was called a no contest. They were called co-champions. And you move on to bowl games at that point. And Larry Scott, because, you know, this is a primetime Friday night game and it's all about money for larry scott decides to go forth with this game and put oregon into the game and and they end up upsetting quote-unquote upsetting usc i think sam and i both agree that usc was not yeah really a true 5-0 and team but at the same time they're the only undefeated team in the conference at that point going into this game and fully deserved to probably at that point be Pac-12 champions just based off of record alone. And if we couldn't play in that game, UW being we, then it should be USC. And that's the way that it would have been in any other major conference. Um, but Sam, go ahead, go ahead. This is this is where the Pac-12 is right now. Go ahead and read that tweet that that you had found earlier. Yeah, you know what makes me mad is the fact that you know. 40, 50, 60 years from now, I'm going to have to explain this shit to Sam, Sam Hoganson the fourth. <laughs> my goodness. My grandkids aren't going to be able to understand this. A tweet from Kyle. We don't even understand it. Kyle Bonagura, Bonagura, at Bonagura ESPN. Yeah, he's an ESPN writer. This would be the most pactful thing to happen. Conference champion, Oregon. North champion, Washington. 
South champion USC, likely to end the season highest ranked team, Colorado. What? Again, Stuart Mandel has another tweet. How will we explain this to our grandkids? Oregon football, woo, back-to-back Pac-12 champs. Look at the standings. Washington Huskies, 3-1. and one. Oregon Ducks, 4-2. and two. USC Trojans, 5-1. and one. Colorado Buffaloes, 3-1. and one. How are the Oregon Ducks the champs when they have more losses than any of those three, teams? Three other teams. It makes no goddamn sense at all. And this is the position that Larry Scott put this conference in. And um, wow. obviously, I mean, COVID's, COVID's like the big overlying issue to what effed up this entire situation. Um, so no one's to blame for that, that aspect. But pretty much every other conference had a better plan than the Pac-12 did going into this year. And the Pac-12 keeps digging their own grave even further into the ground with every decision that they make um, in reaction to any kind of, you know, controversy that comes up or cancellations that come up during this season. So it sucks. And um, I mean, like Sam and I have said multiple times on this podcast, this, this season has a massive asterisk next to it and uh if it didn't before definitely does now and Oregon can talk all they want about how their Pac-12 champs this was this season doesn't even account for anything it was a completely development year at this point in the Pac-12 yeah I don't want to hear it you're an Oregon fan go kick rocks yep so let's talk let's talk let's talk about some Huskies though man um and Obviously, this sucks because we're not we're not going to see this team play again in 2020. But that doesn't have anything to do with what we can expect from this team in the future. And um, I guess, do you want to do like a season review, kind of real quick on our on some of our predictions from 2020? I mean, again, we've said that this is such an asterisk season that like a lot of our predictions. <laughs> I don't know. We, we kind of nailed like half of them, I feel like, but the other half were like completely off on. So yeah, yeah, let's do it. I think that makes sense. All right. So to round out 2020, we'll just talk through our predictions. So Sam and I in episode four, I believe laid out our predictions for the 2020 season who would lead in certain statistical categories and stuff. And we'll just kind of go down these quickly. Uh, So the first statistical category that we were predicting was tackles. And we both hit the nail on the head with who was going to lead the team in tackles. And that was Eddie Ulofusio. Um, And Sam, you almost had the number of tackles correct. I guess not like. Not per game. I, I predicted 55 tackles in six games and Eddie ended up with 47 in four, in four games. So he was. He would have crushed that. Crushed that, but definitely got the. The player right on that one. Going down the list to lead the team in sacks, we definitely missed the boat on this. I thought yeah. Savelle Smalls would have more of a pass rushing impact. I predicted predicted five and a half sacks. Guessed the wrong player. Definitely should have guessed ZTF in hindsight. Honor, you guessed Ryan Bowman, which at least my player had a sack and he only played in two games. So that's true. And I think he was losing him when we did, I think, 
played a big part in some of our struggles Dude. in the in those last two games, particularly against Stanford. I think we've already touched on that one, but ZTF definitely had a hell of a four game stretch, really three game stretch. And it'll be interesting to see what decision he makes coming up. I I would bet he probably comes back. What do you yeah, think? Yeah, that, w- that would be my guess as well. Um, his sample size is just so small for yeah. being that dominant of a player. Obviously, he has great tape from this year, just from a few games. But I think most NFL scouts are going to want to see something on a on a broader spectrum and a little bit more consistency from from a full season yeah. is my guess. And I think if he can replicate half of the success that he's had yeah. next season, his draft stock will soar and it'll be worthwhile coming back from a financial perspective. Mm-hmm. So I think he'll likely come back. Interceptions, I don't think either of us were close. I no. have Cam Williams. He barely even saw the field. So that was yeah. a bad pick. At least Asa Turner. I mean, my guy's technically tied for the lead <laughs> with <laughs> interceptions one. with one. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, it, of the three guys that had interceptions this year, that being Elijah Molden, Asa Turner, and Trent McDuffie, Asa Turner was definitely the most underwhelming as a performer um, from just a, an overall defensive standpoint. So I, I'm not really putting my hat on that one as far as a good pick for our interceptions leader, especially from what I expected from Turner this year. Um, Moving on to defensive MVP. We both had Elijah Molden and you can make a case for him. um, But if you're looking specifically at stats, I think you're probably going to go with CTF. Just, I mean, completely dominant, especially in those first three games. Um, seven sacks really in three games he didn't really make that much of an impact in the fourth game against Stanford so but he was obviously the defensive lineman of the week for three straight weeks for the Pac-12 and really you know attracted big plays yeah for sure and I like I mean it's not just it's not just sacks but he had I think three of those were strip sacks yeah I think we only recovered three of them but or two of them but um yeah, I mean that's that's he's impressive. Probably he's probably the defensive MVP. The only other name you could probably throw in that race would be Ulafoshio. Yeah, really saved our bacon, making some tackles. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Um, and yeah, I mean, I'm just looking. I, I I'm trying to ignore just like just looking at stats and stuff, and just trying to think about their impact on the field. I still think Zion's plays were probably bigger than Eddie's, but Eddie, yeah. Eddie's impact doesn't just show up on the stat sheet, especially with just how many plays he has to, you know, save for us <laughs> because of a certain individual. Let's not even go there. Let's skip over that one. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, so let's move, let's move to offense here. And Sam, you have a bottle of whiskey coming your way. So go ahead and hype up your boy. That's right. Demo Dylan Morris, the leading passer, bringing a bottle of whiskey your boy's way. So I'm pretty pleased about that. I'm excited to see just the overall play from Dylan Morris, I think was a lot better than even I anticipated. Yeah. I, I would have liked to have seen him 
pass for a few more touchdowns. I think, what did we say? He only had four. Four passing touchdowns. But played really efficient. Two of them were dropped. Two or three of them were dropped, though. So he could have had like seven or eight. Yeah, that's true. So I I really liked what I got to see from him. It'll be really interesting. We'll get into some of the incoming players next year that signed Mm -hmm. to – Signed on the 16th, I believe, a couple days ago, or the 15th, I don't... It was, yeah, Wednesday, yeah, the 16th. And it'll be really interesting. Quarterback battle going into 2021. I think Dylan Morris showed a lot of positive things, and I think it's his job to lose. But we've got a guy that's coming in here that might spice things up a bit. So we'll talk about him later. We can keep going down the list here. Connor, obviously you had Kevin Thompson as the leading passer. That mm. didn't really come to fruition, mm. and yeah. for that reason, I'll be sipping on some some whiskey in one of these upcoming podcasts from from Connor. So I'm pretty pleased about that. Running <laughs> the ball, neither Happy to do it. Rushing attack, we were both way off. Yeah, we were. Yeah. Uh, so so Sam had cam davis who if it was up to us i think probably would have been the leading rusher this year just based on you know just just you know the eye test in general but um how many rushes did he have this season uh, 15 yeah not not nearly enough ridiculous yeah i'll be in four games but i mean he's only getting three maybe four a game. So yeah, just not enough Cam Davis this year, but definitely a pick for the future. I think if we're talking 2021, Cam Davis is likely to be that lead back. If we're talking on talent and I test at this point, Um, my pick was Richard Newton and he ended up third in rush yards this year uh, behind both Sean McGrew and Kamari Pleasant. Sean McGrew obviously went off kind of in that Oregon state game especially in the the earlier parts of the game was our most mm-hmm. effective form of offense that first game of the year. And they didn't really go to him towards the end of that game. And it probably the, the final score was closer than it should have been because we weren't, you know, using the hot hand in our stable of running backs. And Sam and I both agree that I think the, the coaching staff definitely overcompensated for that after that and gave Sean McGrew a little bit too much of the workload in the uh, following three games. So he ends up with 43 carries for 227 yards and four touchdowns. You know, he's averaging 5.3 yards a carry. It's not like he's ineffective by any means, but I think there was definitely more meat on the bone with this rushing attack. And some of these other guys should have gotten some more carries um, in some of the in those those last three games that we played so we'll see what happens i have no idea what to to expect from this rushing attack in 2021 i i I obviously hope that cam davis is that lead back and that there's some other pieces that fill in behind him but who really knows at this point um rush tds both of us had richard newton with eight and obviously i just said sean mcgrew led the team with four Richard Newton did have a couple of touchdowns this year, but he saw basically zero playing time the last two games. And that was pretty questionable as well. We don't know what the story is behind that. We don't know if it's disciplinary or if he's maybe a little bit banged up, maybe like not banged up enough to 
not suit up and like he's there kind of for emergency roles but maybe he had something lingering that he wasn't able mm-hmm. to play or they didn't want to put him in there and risk injury so I who hope, knows i hope that's what it is because if it's if it's disciplinary or if it's just the way that the rock landed and they didn't give him any carries in the last two games i that's the one name i'll be watching in terms of transfer portal if yeah. that leaves a bad taste in his mouth and he Suck. goes looking elsewhere for a team that'll actually let him carry the ball, that would be mm-hmm. really detrimental to this team. So I'm hopeful that there's some logical reason behind him not getting playing time in the last two games and that he's still happy in a Husky uniform because I think he plays a significant role on this team next year if he comes back. Yeah, no doubt. So that'll be definitely a position to watch in this offseason and going into 2021. Right, because um, Sean McGrew and Kamari Pleasant both could Yep, everyone come could back. come back. Yep, if they wanted to, everyone could come back. So kind of hope they don't. Yeah. <laughs> we did talk about that off mic as we – obviously, Sean McGrew and Kamari Pleasant have quite a bit of experience and could come back, but I think we – we both know who the most talented back in the room is. And if those guys come back, it's going to take up, take carries away from Cam Davis. And we don't really want that. And both Cam Davis and Richard Newton, assuming he, he also comes back. So let's move on to wide receivers or I guess uh, receivers in general, uh, receiving yards. You, you had a pretty bold pick, here, I did. Sam, but I liked it. I liked it. It was, I mean, it was definitely a, a ballsy pick and it's not like the guy was a zero or anything like that. We saw yeah, some I liked flashes. what I saw from him, but it, again, similar story. Didn't really get many looks this year. Mm-hmm. I had Romo Dunze for 500 yards he kind of started to come on towards the end of the year, really stepped up and filled Puka Nakua's shoes, I'd say admirably, in the Stanford game. And I think that's a name that Husky fans should get familiar with. So, again, obviously a little bit of a bold pick here. Eat some crow on that one. Maybe a little aggressive with choosing the true freshman to lead the team in receiving. Connor, you had Terrell Bynum. Yeah. Which wasn't a bad pick. He got injured. He was up there probably in contention to be the leading receiver. But I will say for both receiving yards and receiving touchdowns, I'll give you half credit because you did call out a dark horse pick, which turned out to be our leading receiver. Yeah, Kate Otten. And we mentioned, did we mention him earlier? I guess we didn't. I don't don't think we talked. We were talking about him off mic. That's right. Um, yeah, Kate Otten uh, was, at least obviously through the air, our most consistent weapon and really came into his own this year. He had, I mean, this is four games, guys, so keep that in mind. But he had 18 receptions for 258 yards and three touchdowns. And uh, I think Sam and I both pointed out after both the, what was it, the Arizona game and the Utah game, he had over 100 yards receiving and seven-plus catches in each of those games. He wasn't used that much in the Oregon State game, not nearly enough. And then uh, in the last game against Stanford, we didn't use him enough either. 
Right. I didn't think, but um, he's obviously capable of, you know, hundred plus yards almost every game. If you're giving him targets and getting him good looks and stuff. So obviously the, the favorite target of Dylan Morris this year um, led, led the team in receptions by a healthy margin and albeit also in yards and in touchdowns. So Really nice to see Cade's development this year, and hopefully he didn't develop too quickly. <laughs> I think Sam and I yeah. both really want to want him back for 2021. I think he could play a really special role if he was going to put the, these numbers over a full season. But um, nonetheless, happy that Cade's a dog, and his younger brother, I think, is one more year away. One more year away. Hasn't yeah. decided yet, but everyone knows. he's Yeah. He's coming. He's coming yeah. to UW. Yeah. So we have, we, we, even if Cade does leave for greener pastures and goes on to the NFL, we still have another hot to look forward to at some point here. Um, likely. So uh, who's next? Oh yeah. Offensive MVP. I think, I think you would probably nail this. Yeah. I got Dylan Morris early in the preseason predictions. I would say that's likely true. Yeah. You could probably make an argument for a Kate Otten, or if you wanted to go, you know, make a little bit of an exception for the MVP category, you could potentially say our offensive line, since they didn't give up in a, a single sack in four games, yeah. is pretty impressive. I'm glad you called but that out. I do think offensive MVP is likely lands on Morris's shoulders. There are just too many key moments in the game third downs, the comebacks in the second half that really were sparked by him. And I think as he, I guess it's typical to most offenses as the quarterback goes, so does the offense. And I think he probably was our offensive MVP. You had Richard Newton as a running back. Obviously we just kind of went down the line there and the rushing attack that didn't really pan out. I would have loved that to be the case because I think Newton brings a style to running the ball that just wears teams out and something that I'm just a big fan of. So I would have liked to have seen that happen, but unfortunately for reasons we already talked about did not come to fruition. Yeah. He, I mean, he, his impact goes further than just the stats that he puts up and the numbers that he puts up just because of his fiery personality and the mm -hmm. way that he runs, um, his physicality really kind of, you know, lends itself to other parts of the team and other teammates getting fired up as well. So it's definitely contagious. A little bit of that beast mode, contagious energy. Yeah, for sure. If we move on to breakout player of the year, big fat L for both of us. <laughs> womp womp. I chose Leatu Latu. Didn't even see the field. He was had an undisclosed injury, never even played a game. Yeah. And then you went with your main man, Asa Turner. Oh. Oh. Probably was one of the weaker links in our defense. He was a second year, worst say. player. He was a second worst player on our defense. I don't Starting. know if I'd say that. He, well, yeah, second or third. Maybe you could throw like one of our interior defensive linemen, like a Josiah Bronson. Or, Maybe. Maybe. I, maybe. Yeah. I Not don't know. a good pick either way. <laughs> it wasn't, yeah, either way wasn't good. I don't think I'm feeling a whole lot better if he's our third worst than if he's our second worst. So 
Hey, we got our impact. Fr- we got our impact freshman right though. We did. We did. Yeah, but I, I real quick want to just, I, Asa Turner was comp- so disappointing to me this year though, and I don't know. I think Sam and I have talked about earlier. I don't know if he was being used the correct way in this defense. If you know he needs to be a little bit closer to the line of scrimmage to start with and not be playing like a deep safety role and trying to come up to a play. But even then, I I think we were probably leaning a little, probably giving him too much credit with that, Sam, because he he's like he was not attacking the ball aggressively yeah. this, this year, and he just needs to be a lot more aggressive and a lot more physical because he's a big dude. Like he needs to use that to his advantage, and I'm really hoping that 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 it clicks for him over this off season. And because I think I think we're going to be leaning on him again next year. I think he's going to be a starting safety for us probably oh, next yeah. year as well. So I, I don't know if I see anyone behind him supplanting him at this point. Yeah, so I don't either. Gonna, I think that really is, upon him. yeah, that really is the nut of it for me with Asa Turner. You know, you get really excited for a guy that obviously put a lot of time and energy and effort in the off season in the weight room. He put on, I think, close to 15, 20 pounds, mm-hmm. really has a really unique body type at that safety position he's really long six three six four now 200 plus pounds coming into the season you kind of expect him to you know i i I don't think either of us expected him to be cam chancellor like but sure we definitely wanted to see cam chancellor type aspects to his game in terms of laying the lumber and playing physical and using his body and his strength to his advantage. And I think that's the biggest disappointment, removing stats and assignment sound football. Just the fact that he didn't play with the physical brand of football that you would like to see from somebody that has those physical gifts is probably the most disappointing aspect of his short season. And Hopefully we can see some see, see some progress in that department, but I I kind of have the I'm of the opinion that that's not really something that you can coach, right? Like I think you either have that's that. What I'm, that's what I'm saying. It needs to click for him. Like he he needs to just yeah. he need it needs to he needs to develop a mindset that like he's a physical player, and obviously I don't think he's really been that ever in his career so he needs to make sure like that needs to develop inside of him somehow and i don't know how that happens it's not coached it's innate i think it's also a contagious thing too i mean you look at you know when death row defense really started was with azim victor and he was a guy that really made his presence felt in a physical way and i think when you see someone like him just going all out laying the lumber you want to be the person that makes the next big hit in the game and i think that's really contagious and i look around on our defense the last couple of years and i just we don't really have that i think we lost a lot of that mentality with the departures of someone like azim victor Keyshawn bieria buddha baker jojo mcintosh we we've lost a little bit of that hard hitting swagger and on our defense this year, like I think we have a lot of really talented, good players, but I just haven't seen anybody really 
take up that torch and run with it. Mm-hmm. I know ZTF definitely played a physical brand of football. He just didn't play at a position where that is consistently felt throughout the game. It's kind of in spurts of, you know, one, two, three plays at a time type situation. But, you know, I think Eddie Lafoscio is a hell of an inside linebacker, but I wouldn't even describe his game as overly physical or violent. Yeah. I don't see that out of either of the safeties that played. I think uh, Elijah Molden plays that way. Yep. But again, he's in the nickel spot. Like, that's not right. the person. We need that war daddy at linebacker, and we just don't have him. He's not there. Yeah. I think Tafisi could have been that guy if he didn't get hurt last year. Yeah. And I think I think even though he's outside linebacker, Latu brought a little bit of that to, to the field, yeah. and we didn't see that at all this year as well. And I also think that we, I think Savelle Smalls could be that player uh, as well. Yeah, he'll so definitely. I think. Yeah, I think there's those players on the roster. I think a lot of them just didn't. Whether they're whether it's through them just being young and not experienced enough or hurt or whatever, they just didn't really see the field consistently or didn't ha- make an, make the impact that we would think that they would have or can have. Mm-hmm. So I think, I think, I think you're right. I think that the the team and the defense that we saw this year was lacking that but i don't necessarily think that the team is lacking that it's just they haven't those players have not been on the field yeah yeah they haven't emerged emerged. yet yeah Yeah. and i think there's tons of young talent on this team obviously we've talked about too that we haven't even seen some of those guys so i don't think i think it's probably too early to think that like the team doesn't have that that type of mentality yeah yeah, I agree. I don't think that the team in general lacks the mentality, but it it is similar to how we talk about Richard Newton running the ball and that right. contagious, attacking, aggressive nature to his game, you know, wipes off on some of the other offensive players. I'm really have this urge for someone to step up and carry that torch on the defensive side of the ball as well. And I think that's just something we've been missing this season and even last season. Basically, I think the last person that really carried that torch in my mind is Ben Burkirvan. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a good call out. Anyways, a little bit of a tangent there. I don't know how we <laughs> totally got there, but well, I mean, we were talking about Asa Turner, and I—that was mostly my fault because I was, yeah, I was very disappointed in his season. But you—you you mentioned it earlier, though, Sam. We definitely nailed the impact frosh. I think this year. Yep. And. Uh, started with our five-star recruit Savelle Smalls. I wouldn't say he had an overwhelming season from a statistical standpoint, but you definitely saw flashes of his talent, and it was good to see him get on the field, especially a lot more towards the end of the year. I think he definitely got some humble pie. Yep. In in both the Utah and in the Stanford game with no Ryan Bowman there, he was leaned on heavily in those games, which it was good to see him in those positions, but definitely looked like a young player out there losing containment on a lot of running plays. And um, I think we're going to see a beast in Savelle Smalls next year. I think to your I think point, this is a really, this was, this was a really good year for his development. I think like, I think it was a perfect situation for him. Yeah. I think to your earlier point about him eating a little bit of humble pie, you know, he's big man on campus his entire life. And he got pushed around a little bit this year, which is to be expected of 
most true freshmen, I think he's going to attack the gym in the weight room this off yep. season. And I, I think, think you're right. going to see a really good player next year. Well, and he didn't have a traditional off season going into this year as far as a weight room, like, right. You know, putting on the freshman 10 or 15, just from being in a college weight room. Like he didn't, he wasn't able to be in that because of COVID. Right. So um, yeah, I think I, I wouldn't put too much into Savelle's stats this year, but I, I do think that he definitely has kind of that mentality that you were just alluding to oh, as yeah. far as just like that, you know, attack the ball and be aggressive and bring a physical nature. And I think once he puts on a few more pounds and gets in the film room and really kind of starts to fine tune his craft, you're going to see him make some impact plays for this team over the next couple of years. So for sure. definitely excited for his future. Um, another guy that we had on here was Roman Dunze. Obviously, Sam touched on him earlier and probably thought a little bit higher of him than I did, <laughs> thinking that he was going to lead the team in receiving yards. But it was a sexy and it was a fun pick, so I like it. But nonetheless, he still, I mean, he still was out there a lot, especially once Terrell Bynum was went out and Puka Nakua was, was out in mm-hmm. that Stanford game. Um, really leaned heavily on on uh, Roman Dunze. And especially in that Stanford game, saw some pretty incredible catches and yeah. just like, you know, just flashes and glimpses of that, of that potential and that talent. So definitely someone to be very excited about. For sure. I think the other two that we got on here, I we both agreed that Smalls and Odunze would be two breakout freshmen. We had different picks for our third impact freshman. I went with Mark Redman. He didn't make too much of a statistical impact, but he played a lot in that mm-hmm. second, third tight end position. Got in a lot of playing time, similar to Savelle Small's really good learning opportunity for him this season. And I think he'll carry that forward. And depending on the looming decision that Kate Otten has in terms of going to the NFL or not, if Kate Otten does indeed decide to go make some money playing ball, we're going to be leaning on Mark Redman a lot next year, yeah. potentially as our number one tight end. So I'm glad that he got his feet wet, played a lot. And from some of the film study that I've done, showed some really good glimpses in the run blocking category. And just based on his high school production, we know that he's a solid receiver, good hands, runs pretty tight routes. So I think he will be someone to keep an eye on going into next year. And then Connor, your third pick was the other true freshman wide receiver that played a a decent amount was Jalen McMillan. Saw some really exciting things from him, particularly I think in the Utah game or was it Arizona? It might've been Arizona. It was Utah. It was Utah. I think it was Utah. I can't remember, but either way, in one of the games games, we threw three or four, maybe even five deep balls to McMillan. And we talked about it a lot in our podcast for one reason or another, they didn't connect. Most of that probably lies on Morris, just not quite getting his deep ball locked in. But McMillan was burning people out Mm -hmm. there and getting wide open. He looked really quick and 
playmaking ability on some of those end arounds. And so I think, you know, unfortunately I was expecting him to kind of have a bigger game in that Stanford game filling in for Nakua and Bynum while they were out and he got injured early in that game. But I think right there you have four true freshmen that got a lot of run, got a lot of playing time. Yeah. And I do think we'll build on that this off season and be, I mean, they already were mainstays more or less this year, but even more so next year. So Savelle Smalls, Mark Redman, Romo Dunze, and Jalen McMillan are for sure. They have a bright future in front of them in the purple and gold for sure. Yep. And like Sam and I have talked about a lot of the, the blue chips on this team are freshmen and sophomores eligibility wise. So the future is very bright with this Husky team, especially just from a talent perspective and we'll see how those guys develop. But if the first look on some of these freshmen on the field, it's, it's a positive and it, it seems pretty promising that they're going to develop into some pretty good players. National champs 2022 heard it here first. Woo. I like it. I like it a lot. And yeah, so, I mean, I don't know. I don't think we should probably really put too much into this whole record thing because yeah. obviously there was cancellations and stuff of games, but Sam had us going six and oh, and I had us going five and one. The only loss that I had was against Cal and in the first game of the year. And I think if that game, is played we win that game so (laughs) we're probably talking about both of us predicting predicting undefeated seasons at that point but we did did lose against stanford in our in our last game of the year i think that's that's probably like the the biggest disappointment well not the biggest disappointment but like the hardest pill to swallow right now is that we we ended the year on kind of a low note yeah and like Not only that, but the rest of the season was out of our control. Well, kind of <laughs> like, you know, yeah. like, I mean, it wasn't. It wasn't decided we, on the field. Right. It wasn't decided on the field. That's that's a good way of putting it. So and that's that's the toughest thing to swallow from a fan perspective, at least. I'm sure the players are even more upset about it and coaching staff and, and everyone involved in Husky athletics. But kind of a shitty situation all around. Only played four games this year, but. Um, if we're taking a step back here, definitely a great development year for a lot of these young kids and saw a lot of young players contribute and play, um, not only the freshmen that we, that we mentioned, but sophomores and redshirt freshmen saw them all over the field this year. So, um, if, if it's nothing else and it pretty much is only this at this point, it's, it's definitely a development year and a teaching year and a film session year. So all these guys have good tape on them now and game tape. So they can take that into the off season and learn from it and improve upon it. Um, But that's, I mean, I don't think Sam and I amount this season to anything more than a development year at this point, 2020 is just so fucked. Like, I mean, the, the tweets that we were sharing earlier pretty much legitimize what we're saying. And it's, it's crazy. It's crazy, but um, let's let's talk a little bit more about kind of like what what our future holds and 
are we are we ready to talk about our we had an early signing day on on wednesday the 16th as sam sam mentioned uh earlier in the podcast and we had 15 guys verbally committed to us and 15 guys signed their letter of intent intent on on wednesday so that's a pretty typical peterson era type type signing class there. no drama <laughs> yeah a little bit a little bit of a smaller class though i will say we're used to you know 20 plus players yeah. signing pretty much every year a lot of this has to do with just scholarship players or scholarships available though there's just um not a lot of old older players and veteran players that and especially with the COVID year, you just don't know who's coming back. So they just don't have enough scholarships to get them to offer a bunch of scholarships and to sign a bunch of players. So 15 is a, is a smaller class, but in a, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's a bad class um, by any means. And I know that we're obviously excited about a few of these names here, um, Sam, but uh your your namesake here i think is is the 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 top of the class and crown jewel i i know that you have many positive things to say about him so i'll let you go first um but this guy is pretty much pretty much our future yeah i i happen to think so again at the quarterback position saw some really nice things from dylan morris i do think that it's gonna be his job to lose but I think this kid coming in, Sam Heward is going to give him a run for his money. He put pen to paper, signed his letter of intent. It's all locked up and he will be wearing a Husky uniform in the fall of 2021. And I think he's going to be your starting quarterback in 2021 as well. And if the name sounds familiar to you, Husky fans, he is the son of former Husky Damon Heward who took over the reins after our national championship run with Brunel and Billy Joe and his uncle, who he probably looks, well, I guess he looks more like his dad physically. He's not as big as Brock is and was, but he is a smooth lefty quarterback. And man, this guy can sling it. He's got arm strength. But really what sets him apart is his accuracy and his touch is just something that you don't find in a high school quarterback anywhere in the country. And his ranking does respect to that. He's largely regarded as the number one quarterback in this class. And I don't know the last time the Huskies got the number one quarterback coming out of high school across the nation. So that's big kudos lives in Bellevue. He's played his high school career down in the SeaTac area for Kennedy Catholic. He's 6'1", 190 officially. I think he's a bit taller. He just seems taller than that, probably closer yeah. to like 6'2"-ish. Yeah, he's probably 6'1 or 6'2". He's probably like between there is my guess, yeah. Yeah, and so I think he'll continue to fill out. He's more athletic than you would think. When I watch his game, I really – it's hard for me if you take away the fact that he throws with his left hand he reminds me a lot of Aaron Rodgers in terms of his just god-given arm talent his accuracy his ability to throw from different arm angles over the top 
sidearms around some linemen for some shorter completions. And then his sneaky mobility, he's not going to blow you away in a 40-yard dash. He's not going to be Michael Vick or Lamar Jackson. But similar to Aaron Rodgers, he you have to account for his legs. And he can, I guess, like a great comparison, honestly, is probably what we saw out of Dylan Morris this year. Like Dylan Morris didn't win games with his legs per se, statistically. But he had that sneaky, elusive way about him on third down to extend some plays. And you look at a couple of those key plays in the comeback against Utah, Dylan Morris extended a play, converted a third down to Puka Nakua, extended a play in the same manner and hit Kate on for the game winner. I think we should be able to expect that same level of pocket awareness and mobility from Sam Heward. And I just, I can't wait already for the QB battle. I know I'm going to be a disappointed fan because I'm sure it's going to be a repeat of this year where we don't know who the starting quarterback will be until they take the field in the first game of the 2021 season. But as much as I like Dylan Morris, Sam Heward's freaking special, man. <laughs> yeah. And the one thing that we obviously criticize Dylan Morris with is one of Sam Heward's strength and that's his deep ball. My- and Sam throws a very pretty deep ball and it's reminiscent of kind of obviously this is I'm not saying that he is Russell Wilson but his deep ball looks like Russell Wilson just as far as the loft and the air that he puts under it and you know the the beauty of it as far as like the tight spiral and obviously just giving his receivers a chance so and maybe it's maybe it's a little bit of a lefty thing but I've seen some people compare Sam Heward's throwing motion to Ken Griffey Jr.'s swing. Nice. Yeah, it's a thing like of it. beauty. I don't know if I'm ready to like totally do that. Ken Griffey Jr.'s swing is <laughs> iconic. Yeah. Especially for us in our generation. Right. But it it's not very often that you watch somebody throw a pig skin and you're like, damn, that looks good. Yeah, for sure. It looks good when Sam spins it. It does. And no doubt you're going to see him starting for UW. Um, it's just whether it's going to be next year or not. I think if it's not next year, it's for sure going to be in 2022. I think it's just a matter of time before he supplants Dylan Morris. Yeah. And it's just going to be, I, I think the only thing that he has working against him and mostly this is the fault of COVID is he's not going to enroll early in January, which, uh, player in his position you would typically see that and he would get spring football practices and obviously get hit get attuned to the um, playbook and you know just being on campus and weight room all that stuff like in the off season and he's not going to get that this year because he has chosen to pursue the spring football season that Washington State is supposed to have for high school and he wants to try to lead his Kennedy Catholic Lancers. Is that there? Yep. Yeah. So to a state championship and um, can't fault him for that. Obviously, I mean, he's one of the things that I know his parents heavily have bestowed upon him is loyalty. And that's definitely a, an example of that. And, and that's, that's true character right there. So I, 
I admire that, but it also probably hurts his chances and puts him a little bit behind the eight ball when he comes into fall camp next year. He's going to be, it's going to be an uphill battle for him to try to supplant Dylan Morris, I think, but he's definitely got the talent to do it. And I, I think the, the ceiling is obviously a lot higher with Sam Heward as your starting quarterback than it is Dylan Morris. It's just when that time comes and when he's ready. So, yeah, I think that's a really good call out and that'll be something really important to keep an eye on is that spring practice situation. Cause I'm not convinced that he's not going to enroll early quite yet because with the way that you would have to typically, he would have to enroll in January though, wouldn't he? Or no. did, can he can record, he can enroll a spring quarter. Yeah. So that's one of the things that UW's benefits from is the quarter system. So and he can we, enroll in April in March, March. Yeah. And so what we have typically seen recently is that UW schedules their spring practices to start when spring ball starts towards, or when spring quarter starts towards the end of March, early April. And so if the situation pans out that there won't be high school football in the state of Washington, again, there's a lot of complexities around, has he gotten his schoolwork in order that he's allowed to graduate early? But I think that there's still an outside chance that if high school football is canceled in the state of Washington for high school, then maybe he enrolls in March and gets a head start in that way. But Either way, I think this is going to be a quarterback battle. Super excited to watch him develop in the purple and gold. And I think we're going to have some pretty fun times with him at the helm of the offense. (laughs) Whether, again, that's this year or years to come, he's a special talent. Five-star quarterback, number one at his position in the country. Definitely the crown jewel of this class. And I guess we, we should go down the list and move on to some of these other guys. As Connor mentioned, it's a class. There are other, there are other, there are other players in this class other than Sam Heward. There are, and there's a few good ones too. Oh, okay. It's a relatively balanced class, which is again, another Chris Peterson staple, even though it's a small one, you've got seven offensive players, eight defensive players. Every single position has at least one recruit. Typically, you would want to see a few more wide receivers, probably another offensive lineman or two, and another linebacker. But again, as Connor was mentioning, with the scholarship squeeze that we're in, we just couldn't afford it. And one of the other guys that I'm really excited about is the running back that we got. Anytime you get a running back from Texas, you've got my you got my curiosity. Caleb Berry. JV on Sundays from Texas too, right? Yeah, back-to-back so, Texas running backs. I yep. think they'll be able to do some nice things. Caleb Berry is from Lufkin, Texas. He's a big boy, 6'2", 210. He's going to continue to put pounds on that frame. And he really had a prolific senior season down in Texas. They actually played the 2020 high school season. He ended up, I think he ended up with a broken leg towards the end yeah. of the year, which yeah, obviously is unfortunate, but it's much better than soft tissue injury in terms of ACL or Achilles or any of that nature. So I anticipate he'll be able to recover in six to eight months and be ready to go in the fall. I don't know that he has a path to early playing time. 
he's got quite of, stable ahead of him. It'll, I a, mean, it'll, it'll depend on attrition and if guys leave, um, if guys enter the transfer portal, like there could be opportunities for someone like Caleb Berry, but there's definitely a lot of names ahead of him. I'd say on the depth chart at this point, but yeah. definitely, obviously, obviously a guy to have in mind in the future for sure. So absolutely but go ahead and finish your point though about Caleb. Yeah. I, I think he's going to be a really good running back for us down the road. He's shown a really well-rounded game. He can run with power. He can run with speed, breaks, tackles. If you watch his highlight tape, he makes a lot of the plays on his own. The blocking isn't really there for him. And he, he breaks tackles, makes guys miss. And that's really what you're looking for in a running back is good vision, ball security, and then make the play. As long as in, you expect the UW offensive line will be able to block better and give him some more space. So I'm pretty high on this guy. I think he'll you know, probably ride the pine for at least a year or two. There's a stable in front of him. I mean, both of our true freshman running backs didn't see a single snap in JV on right. Sunday and Sam Adams Jr. So he's got folks in front of him, but you just want to keep loading up on running backs. I mean, we saw it this year. We had four running backs yeah. take a carry, right? Yep. Yeah, so – always good to reload the the cupboards there and also in this class we had a lone wide receiver another local kid connor why don't you talk about him yeah and what's kind of nice about this receiver is the quarterback that we have coming in uh was throwing to him so kennedy catholic product jabez tonight is that how he said it yeah jabez nailed tonight. it yeah so I couldn't, I, I thought it was Jabez. Like that's what I was hearing a lot of other people call him, but I guess in his recruiting video that UW football uploaded, he's, he calls himself Jabez. Tonight, I think a lot so. of people call him Bezzy. Bezzy. I like that. That's easier. That's like Way ZTF easier. when it comes to Zion Tupeloa Fatui. Bang. So I'm getting better. But anyway, back to Bezzy. Uh, yeah, just a, kind of a, you know, six, one, two Oh five, just kind of like your, your prototypical like receiver size that you would want coming in as a freshman. He'll probably add, you know, he could add 10 pounds. I'm surprised that he's listed at two Oh five. He doesn't look two Oh five to me, but he certainly plays like it. And he's a physical receiver. Um, definitely can make guys miss and runs all the routes and all that, like a lot of the highlights that you see is Sam Heward lofted in a deep ball to him. Um, uh, and the other highlight that you see is him taking like a slant pattern or something like that and housing it. So he's definitely kind of got that game breaking speed as well. But the thing that Jimmy was talking about in his uh, post uh, letter of intent, early signing day press conference was just the fact that he plays wide receiver like a defensive player and he's aggressive and physical and he attacks the defense the defense and he likes to run through guys rather than you know around guys so definitely someone that will factor in to the wide receiver competition um 
in upcoming years. I don't know if he'll see the field much in 2021. Just there's a lot of talent at wide receiver over the past few years um, with, with, and young talent at that. We've obviously mentioned uh, both Jalen McMillan and Roman Dunze and true freshmen that saw the field a decent amount this year and will surely factor in. And obviously we have, Puka Nakua, Terrell Bynum, uh, you know, um, Ty, Ty Jones. Jones. Yep, Ty Jones will be back. So all these guys, or I guess, I mean, Ty Jones should be back, I would assume. But yeah, who, who knows? But um, a lot of talent ahead of uh, Bezzy, but he will likely definitely, oh, I shouldn't say likely, he will definitely play a role in this offense in years to come and probably look for look for his name in like two maybe even three years i'd say he's going to be making an impact on the field for sure um i there's i mean there's there's a few other guys here i get that you have highlighted here the the first one is the offensive lineman that out of a local kid out of oday right yep he's from seattle um but uh a guy that Jimmy called the best offensive lineman in the country, Jimmy just being his, you know, typical positive self. But I think he's there's definitely a case one of it. the, yeah, he's definitely one of the best offensive guards in the country for sure. Six, three, two ninety, And this guy plays with some attitude. You, he finishes blocks. He buries the opposing defensive players into the dirt. Just again, you know, you want to hopefully give your offensive lineman a year or two to really mature and add strength physically. But Owen Prentice from O'Day is definitely a big time get. He had offers and was courted from all of the blue bloods across the country and to get him to stay home and help protect our crown jewel of the class and Sam Heward couldn't be happier about it. Got to have those big, nasty offensive linemen, and Owen Prentice really fits the bill on that one. And definitely anticipate him to make a home for himself in the interior of the offensive line. I wouldn't put it out outside of the realm of possibility that he ends up at center. He's a smart guy, really understands the game of football. At 6'3", he's a little bit too short, likely to play outside, but Victor Kern... Right now is our right tackle at 6'3", but he's a little bit of a freak. He's got some really long arms. So I think Owen Prentice is a great get and will end up being a great player. You mentioned center, Sam. And I do have some breaking news tonight that Luke Wattenberg is going to come back next year. Ooh, he announced it. He is. So, yeah. Hell yeah. Where'd you see that? Uh, Fetters or no, actually uh, Softy retweeted it. Um, it was announced on his Instagram. Oh, I see it now. That is big time news. Yeah. That is really big news to get a sixth year center back. Right. And again, like we mentioned earlier in the podcast, we let up zero sacks. And the only way that happens is solid blitz pickup. And a lot of that has to do with your center. He knows the game. Having him come back, that is great news for this Husky team in 2021 for sure. I don't Thanks think he's for... going to be the last guy that you're going to hear this kind of thing from. And especially obviously with COVID that's impacted um, 
eligibility. It has, I guess, no impact on eligibility this year in 2020. So I think, I think this is a decision that you're going to see a lot more of, especially from this Husky team, because these guys have a sour taste in their mouth with the way that this season ended. Like they don't want to end their college career like that with a loss against Stanford when they didn't think that the season was going to end, like that ends up being their last game. That, that leaves a sour taste in your mouth. And especially for a lot of these fringe NFL guys that like their draft stock might like improve if they come back for another year, or they might have other career aspirations outside of football after this year. I think you're going to see that a lot. You know, I think Ryan Bowman's another guy that's probably, I think there's a very good chance that he comes back. Josiah Bronson might even come back. I mean, I, don't know if I really want that, but Josiah Bronson could even come back. Again, Sean McGrew could come back. Kamari Pleasant could come back. Like all these guys could come back if they wanted to. And especially with the situation that UW finds themselves in with being a team that should have been in the Pac-12 championship right? and wasn't able to play not only to like earn their spot, like more, more acutely earn their spot by beating Oregon in the final week, and then also being able to play in the championship, even though they technically kind of earned the the North seeding, right? And and when we're North champs, and um, even after that, not even being able to play in a bowl game. So I think uh, I think this is a trend to come. Is my is my guess? Yeah, I completely agree. Uh, at this point in time, the only folks that we know are for sure moving on are Keith Taylor and Elijah Molden. But I do think that a lot of these seniors or even a, the juniors like ZTF or Kate Otten, I think there's a strong pull. Those are the two that I really back. want back. <laughs> there's a Those strong are the two pull. that I really want back. Me too. I'm there with you. And yeah. I think there's a strong pull for them to come back to, to your point is I think this team this year felt like they were the best team in the Pac-12. I know we lost to Stanford, but – I think if we're in the Pac-12 championship game earlier today instead of Oregon, I think we decidedly beat USC and yeah, we probably win by Pac-12 champs. Yeah, we win by two scores, I think. Yeah, and so that pull to come back is for sure going to be stronger this year than in years past because mm-hmm. there's factual unfinished business for these guys. And that's awesome. Thanks for pulling that up live on, on the podcast. That's great news to get our cent- starting center, Luke Wattenberg, back for 2021. And hopefully that's a trend to continue. Um, moving back into some of these freshmen, again, highlighted that we had seven offensive players. We've already touched on four of them, are kind of the key guys, Sam Heward, Caleb Berry, Jabez Tinai, Owen Prentice couple other rounding out the offensive side we've got two tight ends local guys quentin moores from kenmore he graduated i think in 2019 he went and played at independence junior college or community college i think in kansas for a year and he'll be joining us he's 6'5 245 so again looking forward to next year if Otten does leave keep quentin moore's name you know at the tip of your tongue because i think he is kind of a plug and play type player. He's physically ready to contribute at this level. The other tight end is Caden Jumper, which is an interesting story. He's from Eatonville, Washington, 6'3", 250. 
He plays quarterback, running back, tight end, wide receiver, linebacker, safety, defensive end for his team, kind of does it all. And is a really sneaky recruit. Anytime you can get a jumbo athlete like that, 6'3", 6'4", 250-ish range, I think he'll continue to add weight. I know we were talking off mic, but you might have another Will Disley type player on your hands in Caden Jumper. So excited to see what he can develop into. He's probably not going to see the field for a couple of years, need some development in the skill department and technique department. And then rounding out the offensive line, we have a, a tackle project in RJ Worsh. He's from Capitola, California, 6'7", 285. And he is lean and mean at that size. He is ripped. He might even have a six pack under his shirt at 285 pounds. Really physically gifted guy. Again, more of a project. Definitely needs some work in the technique aspect of his game and needs to add a, add a few more pounds there. But I think when they started recruiting him, he was like 250. So he's putting on weight at a pretty decent clip here. So I think he'll be a name to keep an eye on as we go down the list too. And yeah, then, with that size, I could anticipate him being our left tackle of the future, you know, in like three years. Yeah. So I wouldn't put it past him. And I can't remember off the top of my head, but I think his dad was either his dad was either an NFL player or a bodybuilder, one or the two. And his dad has got him on a weightlifting regimen. I mean, he has been putting on weight, eating right. He's a he's a physical specimen for sure. And if he can get the game to click, he can be a really good player for us down the road and flip into the other side of the ball. We'll talk about two of the highlighted players, the two standouts. I'll take our defensive lineman from South Jordan, Utah, Voy Tanufi, 6'2", 270, is an extremely athletic defensive lineman, really quick off the ball, really strong at the point of attack, and He's someone that I can see playing early. He's only 270, but he has the athleticism to play out on the edge as well. So if we need someone to hold the edge with some strength, I think that's a name that we might call on earlier than some might expect. But I'm expecting big things out of him. He, as well, being in Utah, did play his senior season this fall in 2020 and had a great senior year at that. So I'm excited to see what he he can bring and then another local product that inside linebacker is a really exciting player here connor why don't you talk about will latu yeah one of the more highly ranked players out of this state so it's again good to see top local talent come to uw and we'll touch on a couple guys that we've missed out on in in this class as far as uh, in-state talent but Focusing on the positive here, Willa too played. He's he's kind of more of an athlete, I guess, but he projects as an inside linebacker, and that's mm-hmm. that's the that's probably part of that. I think is that's where we we need our depth is, and yeah. like he he plays that style of ball that we want at that position. That Sam, you were alluding to earlier, he's an he's an aggressive and attacking playmaker. Um, played some safety though, and 
Um, it'll be interesting to see how he develops. He's definitely undersized, I'd say, as an inside linebacker right now. But if he gains about 10 pounds, 15 pounds or so, he'll be right right there. So, um, but yeah, it's, uh, Will Latu out of, out of Bethel. And uh, again, another one of these guys that plans on playing, I think, his his spring football season for Bethel. Yeah. I don't, I think, I don't think he's enrolling early either. So it'll be interesting to see how that all plays out. And if, if COVID's any better or if it's at least good enough for the spring season to commence for high school football in the state of Washington. And if it doesn't, like you said, Sam, maybe he's someone that enrolls early at UW as well. And in, in March. So Definitely excited to have Will Latu and Sam and I have had a lot of conversations about our inside linebackers in in this this podcast over the past you know couple months and it's it's a position that needs to improve and Will Will Latu is one of those guys that can definitely improve it. I don't know if it's going to be right away. I think there's some other guys kind of waiting in the wings that are going to get opportunities first, but definitely a name to to keep in mind. And I wouldn't put it past him that he could see some playing time in 2021, just based on the depth that we have had at inside linebacker. Yeah, totally agree. And he's, he's got a really cool story to him as well. Connor alluded to it throughout his high school career. He's been a little bit of a tweener early in his high school career. He started on varsity as a freshman at the safety spot played there as a sophomore his junior year he put on some bad weight and ended up playing at linebacker he got his weight back down he's hovering around in that 225 230 area now which is pretty ideal for a true freshman i think they'll likely see him playing around 240 potentially even 250 as a linebacker yep. which is and 250 is pretty big so that's a big linebacker in today's day and age so it's it's He's definitely got some athleticism, some versatility, and he's a kid that had some academic issues early in his, early in his high school career and, you know, wasn't getting that offer from the hometown school of the Huskies due to academic reasons. And it's always, you know, you root for kids like him that get their head on straight and correct that path. And he, he made the necessary changes in his studies to really earn that offer. And I think it means a lot to him and I anticipate him to take full advantage of that when, when he arrives on campus and it'll only be a certain amount of time before he's making plays for us on Saturdays. Cause I think he's a pretty special talent. Yeah, for sure. I think the guy that I'm the most excited about, Sam, on this in this defensive class, though, just off of you know projections and 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 potential alone, is Zakari Spears, and this is a kid out of L.A. and we've talked about it already a little bit, but probably need to delve into it more. A lot of these kids, especially on the West Coast, don't have senior seasons under their belts yet, and right that limits their exposure and limits the, the, I guess exposure is the best word for it, but they don't get as many eyes on them. And senior year is when a lot of these kids get late offers and you're not seeing that as much this year. I think, I think Zakari Spears was trending that direction. And like, I think if this guy plays his senior year, 
He's a three-star recruit right now. That probably bumps up to a four-star recruit because he's going to yeah. be starting to get offers from some of the bigger programs along the West Coast. And uh, I think Jimmy got his hands on this guy early. And uh, he, Zakari's pumped to be a dog. And you got to love that from a guy that's from L.A. He looks at UW as DBU. And that says a lot, and that that's that's a tone that resonates, I think, in that area. So, I think this is a big get, not only from the perspective of I think Sakari Spears is going to develop into a really good player, but also just kind of the the tone that that sets in that area. That you know, one of the top local talents in LA didn't go to like a USC, a UCLA, or go to like an Ohio State or whatever, but he wanted to come up to U- UW and sees UW as DBU. Um, and this is a guy that's 6'2", 190, so big frame, long body. Like this is, this is the kind of cornerback that is so coveted in today's age. And it's that, you know, it, it's what the LOB started with, you know, Richard Sherman and Brandon Brown are like that type of size at quarterback. But this guy, I think he, uh, Sam and I were talking earlier off mic. I think he projects to be like Kevin King, but Sam, you were saying, I think he becomes, he, he eclipses Kevin King possibly, but at least rises up to that level of talent earlier in his career than Kevin King does. So I'll let you talk a little bit about Sakari Spears because I know you're high on him as well. Yeah, I think he's a hidden diamond in the rough. And I think that's, you know, one of the themes of this class as well. It's not the four-star, five-star studded class that we've seen the last couple of years. There's a lot of borderline three-star, four-star type players. And to your point, with them not being able to play their senior year, I think you would have seen a lot of these guys jump up in the rankings quite a bit no one more so than Zakari Spears with that frame already 62 190 he's he's ready to play college football and i think you'll see him fill in the shoes of someone like a Keith Taylor relatively well i think they they mimic each other's playing style quite a bit Kevin King you know was the person that Keith Taylor was filling in for so keeping that lineage of all lanky physical corners is really important. So I think he'll definitely be a player to watch. I think the other corner that we got in the class is equally exciting. Dyson McCutcheon, 5'11", 175 from Claremont, California. He's also, you know, a really intriguing prospect. He's a bit smaller, more of your cover corner, Trent McDuffie type mold. Different kind of player. The interesting thing about Dyson McCutcheon is he has some pretty amazing football lineage. His dad, Daylon McCutcheon, played mm-hmm. at USC in the late 90s, had, you know, six, seven-year pro career with the Cleveland Browns. His grandpa, Lawrence McCutcheon, played for the Los Angeles Rams in the late 70s. He even played for the Seahawks in 1980, five-time Pro Bowler. So this guy has it in his blood. And again, kind of an unheralded recruit, another person that probably would have popped up on the radio radar a bit more had he played a senior season. So I think we got a couple of steals in that cornerback class. And I think Jimmy Lake and our DB coaches, Will Harris, Terrence Brown, 
they deserve the benefit of the doubt here. Some slightly lower ranked recruits than what we're used to seeing in the defensive backfield, but those guys know what they're looking for. And I think they got it in this DB class. Rounding it out is a safety, Vincent Nunley from Oakland, California. Another big bodied, heavy hitting type safety that we like to see, 6'1, 190. So between the three of them, I think we're, you know, restocking the cupboards pretty nicely in that defensive backfield for sure. Yeah, no doubt. And obviously, I think there's three other guys on this list that I don't know if you want to spend much time on on these three I guess the most intriguing one to me is Maurice Himes and Sam has a little bit more to say about him but uh this is a guy from Germany but his body size is obviously what intrigues intrigues me and I think intrigues the coaching staff he's 6'6 245 and projects as an outside linebacker so I mean that's like ideal size for a rush end and if he can put on 15, 20 pounds, which I think is definitely, mm-hmm. you know, realistic, then he's going to be right at that kind of like Joe Tryon type type player that projects as a, as a pass rusher. So. Yeah. Quick twitch, really athletic, fast player at that size is something that's highly coveted in all of football, not only college football, and we really had to dig deep to find this guy. As Connor mentioned, he comes from Hamburg, Germany. He played last year at, I don't know the name of the school in, in California, but a junior college there. And it's kind of funny due to the international transfer rules and regulations for that specific league that he plays in, he had to sit out the year. So he actually has never played varsity football in his life. He played on the community college's JV team and he dominated. So obviously you want to see that, but definitely a project. And when you see that size and speed combination, I think we're taking a flyer on him and as a project and a developmental player, but he's got the physical tools you look for. And there's only a handful of players out there that possess those kind of traits. And I'm happy to have him on the roster and, get him into a football program and really eat, sleep and breathe football. We'll see what, what can happen, but I think he's a really exciting prospect. Yeah, for sure. And then a couple other guys here, I'm going to butcher these names probably because they're both from Hawaii. <laughs> uh, one of the guys from Hawaii though played at Renton, I know, and that's this Sia, Sia, Siausi Finau. Good enough. I think that's I think that's how you I think that's how you pronounce that six four two eighty another kind of project guy um, mm-hmm. came out of came out of uh, Maui Hawaii but played football at Renton High School um, and played well there and you know kind of you know definitely caught some eyes and definitely another physical specimen at yeah that yeah I mean six six four two eighty. Um, projects as a defensive lineman and obviously he has the size for it now, but I see him probably again, adding, you know, 15, 20 pounds and being right around 300 and at six, four and that size, that's, you know, 
pretty prototypical of what we've been recruiting over the last few years at that position. Um, and if you want to touch on the other defensive lineman, kind of a similar size as well, another Hawaiian kid. Yeah, from Makakila, Hawaii, Kua Pehopa, 6'3", 300. He's more of the thick-bodied interior defensive lineman that you're looking for. He was recruited kind of as a tweener, not really sure if he was going to be an offensive guard or defensive tackle. I think he has a defensive mindset, and we locked in on him pretty early as a defensive player. And I think for that reason, he really trended our way early and never looked back. And he's, again, comes from a part of Hawaii that isn't really renowned for pumping out Division One talent. So another kind of diamond in, diamond in the rough type player that we pick up here. And, you know, I think it's just the theme of the class. I think a lot of these guys are unheralded recruits. I kind of like that. They have a chip on their shoulder. They have something to prove. And... I think top to bottom at the small, but balanced and really solid class. So I'm excited to get all these guys in the program and see what they can do for the purple and gold. Yeah, for sure. It's an exciting class. It's a smaller class, like we said, um, but there's definitely some talent in here and I think some diamonds in the rough. So credit Jimmy Lake and his staff for another solid recruiting class. And uh, Jimmy is outwardly, spoken that they may not be done a lot of this depends on scholarship opportunities here if there's some attrition on the team they might have some scholarships that are available for some other players and some players that are lined up in that and obviously the big ticket item that's still left out there right now is possibly the best best talent in the nation and jt to malau local kid out of Eastside catholic and a defensive end Right. I mean, he does it all tight end, yeah. defensive end, defensive lineman, yeah. linebacker, safety. He'd probably mostly play <laughs> defensive. I, I've, I'm assuming he'd mostly play outside linebacker, maybe some defensive line for us is my guess. Yeah. But I mean, he's um, 280 already. He's a big yeah. boy, but he can move like you've never seen a 280 pound person move. And he just listed his top five, and UW is in that top five. It's widely thought that he is likely to commit to Ohio State in, you know, the February signing period. Yeah. But um, so I think it's an uphill battle for UW. But nonetheless, this coaching staff has two months to try to, you know, get in this kid's ear and try to lure him to Montlake. So we'll see what happens with him. Another guy that we missed out on is Emeka Agbuka. He just announced his commitment to Ohio State and I think signed with them on Wednesday. Um, but he announced that commitment just a week ago last Friday. Goddamn and Buckeyes. Yeah, so Ohio State's definitely getting some good talent from, from our region. And it sucks. And Sam and I were talking about this earlier. Um, if we were to pick any of the three top recruits, though, when it comes to JT Tumalau, Emeka Agbuka, and Sam Heward, those three are probably all in the top 10 to 15, depending where you're looking at your rankings um, as far as uh, top talent in this year's class of 2021. If we were to get anyone, it would still be Sam Heward, and we got him. So definitely happy about that, but it still sucks that there's – super high-end talent coming out of this state right now and they're going elsewhere instead of Montlake. So hopefully that's a trend that does not continue, but it's going to, it's going to take 
UW getting back on the national map again, you know, from four years ago, going to need to get into those New Year's six bowls in order to, to attract that talent. So JT, if you're listening, man, just stay home, be the hometown <laughs> hero. You'll be a legend. You'll be able to be. easily get a job after football's over. You'll forever be renowned in Husky lore. Come back to games and they'll show you on the Jumbotron. Do it for Seattle. If you really want to put on for Washington in the hometown, you got to stay here. Yeah, no doubt. It would be awesome to see JT Tumalau in purple and gold. That would be absolutely incredible. If it happens, Sam and I will for sure do a podcast the like within the hour of him committing. Yeah, um, again, I, I think I think it's an uphill battle. I don't anticipate it happening, but you know, we're in his top five, and anything's possible at this point. So we'll see what happens. It's it's been a crazy year. Could get it even crazier. Um, I think that that kind of rounds out probably our, our recruiting talk. I mean, obviously we had a couple preferred walk-ons. I don't know if you wanted to touch on them, Sam, you know, a lot more about them than I do. Yeah. I don't have the list in front of me. I know we have a handful. The one that really stands out is the quarterback from O'Day high school, Milton Hopkins, six, mm-hmm. five, 220, 230 pound athlete. I think they're looking at him to come in and play on the defensive side of the ball. Again, similar to Maurice Himes, just getting somebody in that long and strong body type that's athletic for that pass rushing type role on the team. You got to take some flyers and try to find some diamonds in the rough. And Milton Hopkins had some scholarships. I know he had a full ride to San Jose State, some of those power five schools. And he chose to walk on at UW. And I think we're really starting to see the way that we use our preferred walk-on program, pay some dividends here. You've seen guys come in as walk-ons, earn starting roles, earn scholarships. Someone like Eddie Ulafosio, Miles Bryant, Ryan Bowman, Josiah Bronson, Jack Westover, Peyton Harry, Henry. The, the list goes on and on. And I think that paid dividends with someone like Milton Hopkins. And I for sure see a path to a scholarship and playing time for someone like him. I think he's a really yeah. special athlete and it's just a matter of finding a home in terms of position for him. And the light bulb clicks on for that guy. Watch out. Cause he's a big athlete and I think could potentially be a special talent for the Huskies. And I know we have a handful more. I don't have the list in front of me. So yeah, maybe he's the can... big standout one that was just announced today. So yeah. I think, that's probably fine for now. And we can maybe touch on some of the other guys in a future episode. Um, rounding out the Husky talk, obviously we'll talk some pro dogs in a second, but we did have a couple guys already enter the transfer portal. And one of them being Jacob Sermon. That is not a huge surprise. He had, um, he was the backup quarterback this year and backup quarterback in Jacob Eason's year last year as well and um, had entered the transfer portal going into last season um, when Jacob Eason and Jake Hayner were battling it out for the, uh, for the starting quarterback role um, and decided to come back and obviously wish, wish uh, Jacob, Jacob the best. And actually I'm seeing here that he 
made a, yeah, he made a decision and he's going to central Michigan. Yep. So uh, yeah. yeah. So good for him. Uh, it's a, that's a max school, mid Atlantic conference school. Um, and, uh, a school that always puts like a power five opponent on their schedule every year though. So he'll have some opportunities to showcase his talent. And I don't know what their depth looks like there, but I would imagine if he's transferring there, he has a pretty good shot to win their starting job. So wish the best to Jacob Sermon, local kid out of Bothell. And then the other one was Jordan Chin, a wide receiver that is going to be technically a grad transfer. Cause he was, I think he just finished his fifth year at UW. So he is going to be, um, he's in the transfer portal now as well and uh, will be um, going elsewhere for his graduate transfer year. And, and there'll obviously, be more. yeah, ob- and there will be more. Um, these are just the first two. Um, obviously, wish the best for Ch- Jordan Chin. Had a big catch against Oregon last year for a touchdown. That's kind of like his highlight moment, I think, in a Husky uniform. Um, someone that didn't see a lot of playing time, but and the playing time that he got, he made some plays. So um, good for him for, you know, obviously repping the purple and gold while he, while he was here and wish him the best in, in what he pursues as his next, his next school for his last year of eligibility. All right. Pro dogs. Um, I have been looking on talk, man, for their, like, like how did the pro dogs do this week right. thing? I, just highlighted a couple in our notes here because of what I remember, but I know that Will Disley had a touchdown for the Seahawks this last week. And it's going to be one of our transition moments. Cause we'll talk a little bit of Hawks after this, but good to see him get in the end zone. Um, I don't know if that was probably like his second touchdown of the year. I don't think he's, I don't I think it might've been his first. This might've season. been his first one. Yeah. Um, but it was good to see big dis in the uh, in the end zone, obviously, and um, you know a guy that I think has been underutilized this year. The tight end role, I think, in general on the Seahawks has been yep. underutilized, um, and we've seen what Will Disley can do when he's been given opportunities. He just hasn't gotten those opportunities this year, but does end up with a touchdown against the Jets. So good to see that. Um, one of those walk-ons that you talked about, Sam had his first career interception. So why don't you talk about him real quick? Yeah. Miles Bryant, we spotlighted him in a pro dog segment, not too long ago. He's cracked the depth chart for the new England Patriots came up with a remarkable interception. If you want to call it that basically the opposing wide receiver caught the ball. We've seen Miles Bryant do this in a Husky game against Hawaii, I believe, a couple of years back. Just snatched the ball out of the player's hands, diving at the same time, pulls the ball away for an interception, gets up, runs for a touchdown, ultimately gets called back. They decided he was down by contact, which was probably the right call. But nonetheless, an amazing play by Miles Bryant. We've seen him do things like that in a Husky uniform. And it's great to see him making those same plays at the next level for the new England Patriots. And it seems like Bill Belichick really likes him and he does. Yeah. He might be able to make a little home for himself there in new England. So exciting and happy to see him making things happen. A couple other shout outs, just again, based off memory, 
Ben Burkirvan had a big hit in the game against the Jets. We put in a lot of our backups towards the end of the game, and he had – I mean, he just whacked a player with one of those classic BBK smacks that we've seen in the Husky uniform. So I was happy to see him, you know, record a tackle in, in pretty spectacular fashion. And I know uh, Byron Murphy Jr. had – or senior – is he a senior or junior? I forget. Junior. Junior. He had a, a really prolific pass breakup on it on a deep ball. So he's been playing well for the Arizona Cardinals as well. Again, two DBs, UW, as Connor said earlier, DBU and really carrying the torch for, for us in terms of the pro dogs back there. So those are the couple that come to my mind without yeah. seeing the stats from the previous week. Yeah, I have it up now. It's pretty it's still pretty quiet though, other than other than those players. I will say that Hunter Bryant is finally playing. So there you go. Good to see him. He's on the Detroit Lions and had been inactive with an injury for most of this most of this year but the last two weeks he has been on the field no stats but he's at least playing so um obviously kind of a an upside pick for for the lions and definitely someone that we saw make some big plays at uw and maybe he'll get some opportunities in the nfl with the with the lions or possibly with another team i think that's yeah i'm not seeing a lot of other standout performances i mean Buddha didn't have like a huge week. Gaskin was out with COVID. Um, Kevin King had like five tackles. I mean, kind of some vanilla stats, I'd say here from most of the mm -hmm. pro dogs this last week, but definitely a couple things to shout out there. And um, I'm sure week, what is this going to be? 15? Yep. Yeah. Week 15 will bring more more you know statistics and and glory to the purple and gold so god every time i refresh twitter it's something about oregon winning the pac-12 championship i got i'm so mad we're, okay we've moved on beyond that we're gonna move episode. on we we're, can't go back <laughs> and we're gonna we're gonna move on now and we just talked about pro dogs and we're going to transition now to talking about a little bit of seahawks unless you had anything else to say about the husky sam i think we've spent a lot of time on the Huskies yeah. tonight and it was all good talk so it's all good but definitely um definitely a lot to talk about when it comes to what where where things are at at Montlake right now Seahawks uh not a I mean they rolled the Jets last week 40 as to expected did what they were supposed to do which to their credit, they don't always do. The Seahawks are, you know, notorious for making games closer than they need to be and having us on the edge of our seats against teams that aren't good. Um, it's bit them in the ass a handful of times. Uh, you know, it just bit them in the ass against the Giants uh, a couple of weeks ago, but they do take care of business against the Jets. What an awful football team, though. Can I just say that now? Like, they're so bad. They yeah. are so bad. Really I feel not bad. Good. I feel bad for Sam Darnold because I think he's actually a decent player. Like, I think he could be a pretty good quarterback. It's just an awfully ran franchise. And their head coach is ass. Like, I don't understand why Adam Gase still has a job at this point. But, I mean, the talent on that football team outside of Sam Darnold is, like, next to none. It's awful. Yeah, it's, it's so bad. 
really not good. I feel bad for Trevor Lawrence. Yeah. And so, I mean, <laughs> and Trevor Lawrence is likely to be in a Jets uniform next year. And obviously we'll have the bright spotlights on him being in New York, but again, you know, repping a awful franchise in the New York Jets. So we'll see if they turn it around, but nonetheless, let's talk Seahawks here. Roll the Jets last week. Was there anything from that game, Sam, that like you take and, you know, like what looked promising for you? Um, anything that you took from that game that was a negative for you? Or do you kind of just call it a wash? Like, I mean, obviously we dominated a really bad team. Like, is there is there anything that you take from that game? Yeah, it's a hard one to your point. Most of it, I just chalk it up to the Jets being a really bad team. Mm-hmm. The only thing that really stood out to me, and it's what I've been harping on every Seahawks episode we've done, is the running game. And it was nice to see Chris Carson really kind of establish himself in the game. So hopefully we built some momentum in that regard and carry that forward because Lord knows we'll need him come playoff time. So yeah. I'm really taking anything from the game in terms of a really positive development without it being caveated by the Jets just being really bad is probably the only thing that comes to mind is some positive things out of the rushing attack, specifically with seeing Chris Carson look healthy and, and run with that fervor and aggressiveness that we're used to seeing out of him was, was great to see. Yeah, 12 for 76 and a touchdown, averaging 6.3 yards per carry. Chris Carson definitely looked – he looks healthy. Like, I I think there's some questions revolving around how healthy he is, but um, – and them obviously, they're trying to manage his workload to make sure he's healthy for this playoff run. But he looks good, and we're, we're not just going to need him for the playoffs. We're going to need him in these next few games. So I – I fully expect Chris Carson and his workload to expand over these next couple of weeks. I, I want to see him into that 15 to 20 touch. Like it doesn't necessarily need to be carries, but 15 to 20 touches every game. Chris Carson needs that because yep. he's, he's that much of a weapon for your offense. And like you were saying, he's kind of that, you know, contagious energy that the team feeds off of on, on offense with his physicality. The other thing that I would say, though, Sam, is that, um, I mean, again, it's against a very lowly Jets team. So we obviously have to caveat it and preface with with that. But Russell Wilson looked confident again, like he he everything looked on time with him. He was stepping back and hitting throws right off his back foot. He wasn't trying to extend plays and make a bunch of plays with his feet. So that was good to see. I thought the offense just looked a lot more in rhythm against the Jets. Um, so hopefully they are able to do that. And, uh, and and that's a turning point for this offense towards the end of this year and going into the playoffs. Um, and I mean, obviously, no matter who you're going against in the NFL, if you're holding a team to three points, I mean, the defense is doing their job. That's yep. That's been a trend for the last, you know, six weeks or so defense has been definitely turning a corner and playing pretty well. And Jamal Adams got his, got his sack against his former team to put him over. I think he's what at eight and a half sacks, I think, or something like that this year. And that's the most ever for a defensive back. So he set that record 
So good for Jamal Adams for blitzing him a shit ton. So he should get that record, but um, should have had a pick. Yeah. God. Oh, we had, I mean, it should have been worse. It should have been worse than 40 to three. Um, Obviously they missed, they missed three field goals. So you could say that they maybe should have 10, 12 points or something like that. But at the same time, we should have had 50 plus points in this game. And obviously Russell doesn't play any of the fourth quarter. A lot of backups in on defense and in the fourth quarter as well. So it was good to see, you know, Ben Burkirvan got some play in in the fourth quarter on, on defense, not just on special teams. So, I mean, I think those are kind of the main takeaways from, from this game. There's not yeah. a lot to take away from it. Just, I mean, again, it's now an 0-13 Jets football team that you just beat. It's obviously a resounding win, 40-3, to but um that's that's kind of what you should do against that that inferior of a competition so let's look ahead this uh this is a tricky matchup i think this week against the washington football team as they are so called now wtf i mean wft (laughs) nice i like that um a team that projects a lot kind of like the giants i feel like and a team that obviously gave us trouble a couple weeks ago but, you know, a more talented Giants team is what I would say is what Washington is. Um, they're, they are heavily reliant upon their defense and especially their front seven. And even more than that, their defensive line. Chase Young, obviously the standout rookie, is one of their best defensive players. And he's really been kind of coming in, into his own over the past few weeks. So he's someone that we definitely have to keep our eyes on eyes on and make sure that we're protecting Russell from him. And they have Montez sweat. I think a top draft pick from a year or two ago. I can't remember if he was 2018 or 2019, but a guy that a lot of people projected going to the Seahawks and ended up going to Washington. So he's developed into a pretty good pass rusher as well for them. And then Ryan Kerrigan is kind of the other guy that obviously um, is a seasoned veteran and was a former uh first first round pick but has been in washington i think his whole career yep um and really really talented player and more of kind of a role player for them now he kind of comes in mostly on passing downs but he still i think has like five or six sacks this year so definitely still making an impact from from a pass rushing standpoint um yeah i mean this defense could pose some problems for this offense. So Sam, what would you like to see us do? I think I know your answer to this. <laughs> <laughs> what would you like to see us do on offense against this defense to maybe minimize their impact? Well, I would like to see us run the damn ball. Weird. When you look at this Washington football team defense, as Connor just mentioned, they have some, prolific pass rushers. They also have a really good defensive back and Kendall Fuller's got four interceptions on the season. So I don't know, maybe I wish Justin was on here to tell us how many times we should, you know, (laughs) based on advanced analytics, how much should we be (laughs) passing the ball? I don't know. Maybe I'm just dumb and the advanced analytics, you know, tell a different story. But if I'm looking at this, the defense the Washington football team has is built to defend the pass. Yep. So Chris Carson needs to have a day. We need to run the ball, get those defensive ends, 
you know, thinking a little bit more in terms of just simply pinning their ears back and going after Russell. So I would like to see a more balanced attack this weekend and get that running game involved in, in order to kind of neutralize some of the, the pass rush and the, the DB play that they've had over there. Yeah, for sure. And to give you guys some perspective here, I mean, Washington is one of the hottest teams in the league here. I mean, they're, they're six and seven, but you can't look at their record because they've won four in a row. And one of those was against the Steelers. I mean, they won right. 23 to 17 and that's just, I mean, they held the Steelers offense to 17 points, which just kind of gives you an idea of how good this defense really is. Um, they're a top five unit and um, <laughs> this also gives you a, a, here's a, here's an interesting tidbit here. They beat the Niners last week and they had less than 200 total yards and beat the Niners 23 to 15. And a lot of that was because they had two defensive touchdowns. So obviously their defense is a force and that is where it all starts with trying to beat this Washington football team is you're going to have to probably control the clock and keep their defense on the field. So Sam, as Sam alluded to, I think running the ball is definitely the way to go against this Washington football team especially it sounds like Alex Smith likely isn't to play and it's likely to be Dwayne Haskins. Yeah. That's going to be a big difference. I think in yeah. this game. Yeah. And there's a, there's definitely a drop off. I would say between those two players, uh, Dwayne Haskins, another Ohio state Buckeye as is chase young, as is their leading receiver and Terry McLaurin. I think all those guys were on that team that the Huskies played in the Rose bowl. Yeah. Belief. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. Sorry. I didn't mean to bring that back up, Sam. Thank I can tell you. you're not, you're not, ha you're not happy to talk about that. Okay. Not we'll move on. Amused. Yeah. We'll, we'll <laughs> move on. Uh, so, so anyway, Dwayne Haskins is likely to start this game. So I think I, I can't anticipate Washington probably scoring more than about 20 points in this mm -hmm. game. I think even that would probably be disappointing. I think you want to try to hold Washington to under 17. So if you're scoring 20 or more points in this game, you're likely to win. Um, but I think it's going to be a dog, like it's going to be a dogfight out there. I think it's going to be a low scoring game. I think it's going to be a close game for the most part. And um, yeah, it'll be, I don't, this, this is a, this is a sneaky matchup. I, there's a couple injuries, injured guys that, that could come back this week. And I want to know your thoughts about this, Sam. And then I'll let you know what I think about those guys coming back. But Rashad Penny mm -hmm. practiced a little bit this week and according to coaches look good. Do you want to see Rashad Penny in this game is the first question. And then there's one other guy. Oh, Greg Olson. Greg Olson practiced a little bit this week as well. Do you want to see Greg Olson in this game? Or do you want to save both those guys for the Rams game in week 16? Um, I would like to see them both get sprinkled into the game plan. Mm -hmm. But more than that, I want to see a lot of Chris Carson and I want to see a lot more of Will Disley. So I'd rather see sure. the touches in the backfield and at the tight end position go to those two guys and Chris Carson and Will Disley. I think Rashad Penny if I had to choose between the two, which I'd prefer to play, 
I think Rashad Penny probably adds the most value to the team. He's a different type of running back. And I think he's, I think he's at this point in their careers, just a better version of what Carlos Hyde is. And so if you're going to spell Chris Carson, I would rather see Rashad Penny back there and see what he can do. And I just think like with the, with the upcoming games being the Rams and the 49ers, correct? They're, they're division opponents. They know us. They've seen both these guys play. I don't think that there's any element of, you know, saving the two of them for surprising either of those teams. I think, you know, obviously if either one of them isn't quite ready to go, I would much rather, you know, keep them healthy and get them towards a place where they can contribute to the final two games of the season and make a little bit of a playoff push. But I I really think between the two, I would like to see Rashad Penny in the game and get sprinkled into the game plan there, spelling Chris Carson, because I think down the road, having Carson and Penny as a one-two punch could be really something that takes this offense back to the levels of production that we saw earlier in the year, having a legitimate threat or two threats at running back. What are you, what are your thoughts? It sounds like you have thought about it quite a bit. Yeah, I have. And the main reason that I have is because of the field. Yeah, that's a really good point. I didn't think about that. Washington is, I don't know what their stadium is called, but that stadium is kind of a house of horrors and is widely regarded as one of the worst playing surfaces in the NFL and two guys coming off of injury, especially lower body injuries. One, but one guy, you know, coming off of an ACL injury last year and Rashad Penny. I don't want those guys touching that field. I'm sorry. Yeah. Like I I just, I, and I don't think that you need them in this game. And if you do, yeah. then you're not talented enough to do anything that we we think that this team can do this year anyway. So I I think those two definitely add something to this team. And I think that they're definitely needed for a playoff run. I think Rashad Penny adds an element to this offense that uh, no one else really has because he's that home run threat from the running back position. He has that elite speed that, um, Chris Carson and Carlos Hyde lack. Um, and I think Greg Olson just kind of has that moxie. Will Disley obviously has that too, but Greg Olson has been kind of a proven third down target for Russell Wilson. And I think he, while he's been underwhelming for how much we paid him this last off season, um, I think he's done an admirable job in third down situations and made some key catches and some key moments in games. So I, I, I fully expect those guys to come back and make an impact on this team. I just don't really want to see it in this game just because I'm, I'm, I just have, you know, flashbacks about Chris Clemens tearing his ACL on that field and rg3 i think in the same game that playoff game against the redskin or yeah that it was the redskins back then so i can say that then yeah so uh back in 2012 and russell's russell's uh rookie year so um just kind of yeah one of those one of those fields that definitely kind of haunts my memory kind of like the the field down in glendale um 
feel like I had something else to say. Oh, so on offense, you mentioned running the ball. This whole, you know, Pete Carroll's whole thing and Russell's whole thing is, you know, at least up to this year has been, you know, running the ball, controlling the clock, taking uh, like doing play action and taking deep shots off of, mm-hmm. off of, off of, off of that as well. And trying to get explosive plays off of that. I don't think you want to even mess with that shit in this game though. Like as far as play action might work a little bit, but I don't think you need, I, if you're deep drop and Russell, you're asking for trouble against this defense. They are that elite of a pass rushing group. Like I think you're going to get Russell killed, especially because Brandon shell is unlikely to play in this game mm-hmm. at right tackle and Jamarco Jones is out. So you're likely to see either Chad Wheeler who has been ass or, <laughs> or uh, Cedric Abouye or whatever his last mm-hmm. name is, who has also been ass at right tackle. So I think running the ball is definitely the way to go, especially initially. So I think you're going to see a very, brother. I, think, I think you're going to see a conservative play play calling from that standpoint, but the other way to attack it is quick passing game. Like I could see us trying to get the ball in DK's hands on wide receiver screens or some quick slants, like kind of, you know, we need to see more of that. Russell takes three steps back off his back foot. He's hitting someone in stride, you know, five, 10 yards down the field. We need some more of that, I think, in this game as well, because that it's a quick enough play that the pass rush doesn't have a lot to do with it. It's a quick timing play, gets the ball in your playmaker's hands. I don't think you can just rely upon Chris Carson in this game or, or you know, Carlos Hyde or if Rashad Penny plays any of the running backs, you're going to need to get some explosive plays elsewhere. But I don't think that comes from deep shots in this game. You can't be having Russell back there for four or five plus seconds. You got to take some quick timing routes, get out, get the ball out of the hands of Russell Wilson within two or three seconds and let your wide receiver make plays. I stressed it. And I don't remember if it was last episode or a few episodes ago, but you have playmakers at wide receiver. These guys can all make plays after the catch. Like yak is a huge thing with these three receivers in DK Metcalf. Um, uh, Tyler Lockett and David Moore and all those guys can make people miss after the catch. So I'd like to see them sprinkle in some quick passing plays in this game as well. Yeah. I think that's a good call out and I would like to see that as well. Another element to that fits this person's game really well. I think we could potentially see Will Disley carry some of the momentum from his yeah, touchdown against the jets into this yep. game. And some of those quick dropbacks and some seam routes or something. Yeah. Get your tight end, some quick passes and move the chains, alleviate some pressure off of the running game. Yeah. We haven't seen that. We haven't seen a lot of seam routes in general. I feel like from this tight end group, like it's been a lot of like flat routes, I feel like. Or curls. Yeah. Yeah. Like where did that go? I don't, I don't know. I just, I, I feel like that's been so underutilized unless they're just like saving that for the playoffs, which just doesn't seem like it's the yeah. best idea. Um, I feel like that's, I mean, it's not like, you know, a new development, a seam route with a tight end, but it's effective. So I don't know where that's gone. Will Disley is a master at it and same with Greg Olson. So whoever yeah. plays in this game, I I'd love to see some seam routes. Those are, 
those are quick routes as well. That's that's a three-step drop and hitting a guy 10 yards downfield on a seam route, 10, 15 yards downfield. Yeah. So I, I think that's a good point. I think getting the tight ends involved would be definitely a good thing in this game as well. All right, Sam, what's your what's your number one key to the game and what's your prediction for this matchup against Washington on Sunday? 10 o'clock, 10 o'clock game, 10 a.m. game, East Coast. So wake up in your pajamas, pour, pour yourself a cup of joe, have some bacon, some eggs, watch some Seahawks. Sounds like you have your Sunday planned out already. <laughs> I do. Yeah, I don't have a lot of a lot to do on Sunday, so that's that's I might have some grocery shopping to do, but I'm trying to do that tomorrow so I can just, you know, chill out on the couch on Sunday. Yeah, that sounds like a good plan. I might be right there with you. <laughs> um, my key to the game, again, no surprise here for old geezer Sammy, traditional football. I want to see Chris Carson carry the ball 15-plus times in this game. I think we re- the key to winning this game is going to be our offense – against this Washington football team defense. No surprise there. We've been talking about it this whole episode. And we have to do it on the ground. I think that's where this defense is most susceptible. I want to see us commit to the running game, let Chris Carson do his thing, get some of the hard, nasty yards that we need. And then I think we'll be in good shape if we can establish a running game. And I think that's probably my number one key to the game partially is because I just want to see us win a game that way. We haven't done that once this year. We've always won on the back of Russell Wilson. And I think for some of the challenges that this defensive front poses, this is a great time to show the league that we can win a game running the ball with a, a run first attack. And I think it would be great to establish that not only just, in terms of winning this game, but also in terms of, you know, building some confidence and momentum and belief in our own team and players that it doesn't have to be Russell Wilson or bust. So I'm really looking to see Chris Carson in the running game get established and, and hopefully do enough and score enough points and win the possession of the game and come out with the dub. What would you say is your key to victory? Yeah, I mean, I think I think like you said, time of possession is going to be huge in this game. Um, I I do think it's kind of a slow, slow and methodical game that we probably are used to, kind of in Russell's early years when it comes mm-hmm. to the Seahawks, especially. Um, so think back to like 2012, 2013, kind of a conservative play play calling um, game plan is my is my guess. But I want to see Shoddy also just try to try to get the ball out quickly and get it in his playmaker's hands. Kind of like I was alluding to earlier. I want to see Tyler Lockett make some plays in this game. And yeah, um, he's someone that obviously can catch a screen pass. And if you get, you know, DK or David Moore or what's the Freddie Swain is the, the rookie this year, or even one of the tight ends ahead of him and kind of get him out in some space and, let him kind of do his work. I also think, I mean, DK is the obvious guy as far as a playmaking standpoint. And I don't think we've seen enough screen passes called with him. I'd like to see some screen passes with DK. And I think he's underutilized on slant routes as well. 
I think I, he's a guy that can, every time he touches the ball, he could get in the end zone. So whether I, I, I do think Sam, I'm not trying to take away from, I think that Chris Carson needs his touches. I think that we need to be running the ball in this game, but I also think that you need to find a way to get DK probably, I wouldn't say 10 touches in this game, just cause that's, that's a lot. And uh, I mean, the, it's a lot, but also like he's, he's worthy of that. But I'd say, you know, five to eight, six to eight touches in this game. I'd like to see his hands on the ball and him to be able to utilize his athleticism in a, in a yards after, after catch standpoint. So I'd like to see DK do some stuff, do some stuff after the catch. So we'll see how Washington covers him if he's if he's double teamed. Obviously, that might be tough, but there's always a way to scheme scheme guys open. So we'll see what Shotty Shotty comes up with. Sam, what's your final score prediction for this game? Yeah, I do think that it'll be to your your comments earlier more of a slow, drawn out slugfest here defensively. I think if I Go with a score prediction. I might go 24 to 17 Seahawks. I do think that the Seahawks will win the game. I feel like it'll be a situation where we feel like the Hawks are in control of the game for the majority of it and we'll come out with the dub. I think especially with it sounding like Alex Smith is not going to play, I almost don't even want to spot the Washington football team 17 points i think that they'll struggle offensively against us and i think we'll do enough on offense to land somewhere between you know three four touchdown type situation so i'll stick with what did i say 24 or 28 i think i said 24 you said 24 17 24 17 i think that's I like that's i think that's my best foot forward for now would you be happy with that yep I would. Cool. I I mean obviously we've talked about it. I think this is going to be going to be a close game throughout, but I I do think we kind of pull away in the fourth quarter a little bit and I think that this ends 27-13. I think it's probably like a 17 to 13 game entering the fourth quarter. And we kind of have a couple long drives in the fourth quarter. One amounts to a touchdown, one amounts to a field goal, and we end up pulling out a 27 to 13 victory over over Washington. So I don't think this the final score may be quite as indicative of of how close the game is, though. I do think this is going to be a close game and a close matchup. Washington's a good football team. The Washington football team is a good football team. Um and uh, I think I think they are probably heavily favored to win the East at this point. I think they're the best team in the NFC East. I don't know if that's saying a lot, but at the same time, NFC East has actually been playing pretty well over the past, you know, handful of weeks. So as as bad as they were earlier in the year, uh, they have been playing better. And Washington's one, the hottest team out of the NFC East right now. Um, and that being said. <laughs> we need to win this game, dude. Like if yeah. we need to, like if we want any chance at winning the NFC West, cause believe me, I don't want to play this matchup against Washington in a playoff game in the first round. 
because that's yeah. that's that's where we would be at right now if the playoffs mm-hmm. started right now. So um I think it's gonna be a tough matchup. And uh if if we were to come up against these guys again in the playoffs, I think it's a it's a coin flip at that point as far as who would come out on top. Um so I I really hope that we're able to not only win this game, but beat the Rams and and win the NFC West. We'll have plenty more to talk about in the coming weeks as this season rounds up, obviously. But um yeah, see Seahawks is kind of what we're going to be mostly talking about for the next few weeks, at least uh, with, yep. with, with the Huskies uh, ending their season prematurely with COVID issues. Um, but like I said, Sam's or sorry, uh, Sam's here right now. Justin is likely to come on this next week with us and we'll uh, do a little bit of Sounders recap on the MLS cup. There's really not a lot to talk about in that particular game because Columbus just, completely ran train on us um in a route uh but we'll have justin's thoughts on that game and his analysis on what went wrong in that game as well as just kind of some off-season stuff to talk about um you know transfer windows coming up in january typically we'd be talking about who are some transfer targets and what this roster looks like right now uh nico ladero just signed an extension with the team uh through 2023 brian schmetzer seems on the verge of signing extension with the team so we'll probably have some more information on all that stuff as well talk about that as far as sounders go and then we'll obviously be able to talk some seahawks again and that'll be rams week uh next week and we'll obviously reflect upon this game against washington hopefully it's a victory and if so, we'll be fired up for this this game against the Rams on next next Sunday at the Lumen Field, I guess is what it's called now, right? Supposedly. Yeah. <laughs> Lumen Field. Interesting. Um, so anyway, yeah, we have we're week 15 here, folks, for for the NFL and uh, they're they're trudging along as as many problems as the Pac-12 has had trying to get games in this this year as well as college football in general but especially the Pac-12 the NFL has uh been able to stay the course and been able to get all their games in so it'll be it, we, at least we have some Seahawks football to watch over the next few weeks even if we don't have some Huskies um Sam did you have anything else to touch on before we give this episode a wrap no, nothing that comes to mind. Again, hopefully you'll be able to scramble up some eggs, have some bacon in your jammies on Sunday morning, and mm-hmm. watch the Hawks take on the Washington football team. I love 10 a.m. games. I don't know about you, dude. Oh, yeah, I love it. You still yeah. have most of your day when the game's over. Yeah. You don't have to wait so long. You kind of just like wake up and pour a cup of coffee and hang out for an hour or so, and right. boom, game time. Yeah, not to mention like the Seahawks have been actually pretty good in 10 a.m. games recently. Like they historically have been bad up until basically Russell Wilson came to town. Right. And since Russell's been in town and Pete Carroll's been in town, that that story has changed and they've been pretty successful on the East Coast and in 10 a.m. games. So hopefully that trend continues this Sunday. Big matchup against the Washington football team. Again, that's 10 a.m. I think on Fox on Sunday. So tune in, folks. As always, thanks for listening, and we appreciate the support. Subscribe and follow if you haven't already, and leave us a message via the Anchor Leap link in our description. Until next time.
go dogs, go Hawks, go Sounders. And because it's the end of the season, I'll say it one last time. Go dogs.